that working? <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> hey, everyone. Robert Nixon here. I'm at CR Lawyers with Rebecca Domovich. She's a lawyer and notary here that does land transfers and other services for <laughs> CR Lawyers. She can go a little more in detail and you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Rebecca and I am indeed a lawyer and a notary here. Um, basically, I do real estate transactions, uh, corporate and commercial work, and some litigation files as well, um, and estate planning. Cool. So estate planning, would that be? No, like that, wills, that wouldn't be will. Would that be wills totally and stuff wills, still? Yeah. Powers of attorney, uh, representation agreements, stuff like that. Yeah, cool. I need to do a will. Well, you've got my card. <laughs> <laughs> I got her card. I remember I had a sample one before I was supposed to fill it out. I never did it. Yeah, no, uh, you don't want one of those anyway. One of those things. Well, at least to get an idea, but yeah. Uh, we can talk about that. So I'm going to ask her a couple questions and hopefully provide some information for you guys in regards to the ins and outs of transferring land and all that stuff. So first question is, how long have you been a lawyer for? Uh, so I was called to the bar in May 2017. How long did it take to get there? Uh, so I did a four-year undergrad degree in criminology, uh, then three years of law school at the University of Ottawa. Um, then a year of articling here in Campbell River, and so yeah. articling kind of like on the job stuff, like totally. It's like a yeah. year long inter internship where you're yeah. a baby lawyer. <laughs> cool, uh, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, what are you passionate about being a lawyer? Um, so I didn't actually go to law school until later in life. I was thirty when I started, and I'd been working kind of like a series of entry level, low paying jobs, and just kind of working my way up. And it was just, I was consistently finding that, you know, you learn the job and then it becomes kind of routine and boring. Like repetitive. Totally. Yeah. Uh, whereas when I became a lawyer, I'm always learning and improving and it's definitely never boring. So And always changing. Sort of? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Keeping up with uh, different customer needs, uh, changing laws, stuff like that. So the change, the passion is being able to change and learn as you go and not yeah. just getting routine and repetitive. That's cool. Yeah. So what made you decide to become a lawyer? Is that was that a part of it? Did you learn that before you became one? Or yeah, exactly, and it did definitely relate to the fact that I had been experiencing job dissatisfaction for most <laughs> of my adult life and wanted to do something more. Um, I initially went to school thinking I would be a paralegal, um, just because okay. I'd heard there were a lot of job opportunities in that uh, area. Um, but then as I started going into school and kind of digging deeper into it and actually getting okay grades, I thought I may as well just go all the way and be a lawyer. And right, which it was the same introduction sort exactly, of to yeah. Yeah, get there. So that's cool. So I don't know if you want to go into the other stuff that you do or if you want to just talk about the conveyancing part. Totally, yeah. Um, so the first question is, or the, sorry, the next <laughs> question is, in regards to conveyancing from a seller's perspective or a home buyer's perspective, what is your part in the transaction? Yeah, so it's essentially doing things like pulling title to the property and kind of trying to identify any potential issues that may pop up throughout the transaction right. uh, before they become a problem. Um, receiving documents from, say, a mortgage lender and explaining those to the buyer so they understand their rights and obligations under the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And then the big part is also signing documents with them and, again, ensuring that they understand why they're signing these documents mm -hmm. and what obligations they're going to incur as a result of signing them. So with the title and stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, well, unless it's a private sale or something, which yeah. hopefully it's not. <laughs> um, but we've already usually done all that stuff, but you guys will 
look at it again and just make sure there's nothing that was missed or mm -hmm. make sure they fully understand what it is. Exactly, yeah. And there's always some weird stuff that pops up in titles, especially in Campbell River, like yeah. under surface rates and the railroad rates. So it's always You like, know what to say? Those aren't important. They're on everything. That's a, <laughs> don't worry what, about <laughs> it. You're probably not good. Your land is not going to be like expropriated by the government to build a railroad at this stage. Yeah, but the queen owns it all still. You never yeah, actually own exactly. it. So. Um, have you probably experienced, you know, I've experienced it for sure, which is important when it goes to the lawyer that the towel gets pulled again because stuff can get thrown on there. Definitely. Like a lien or a... Exactly, last minute stuff. CPL or whatever. Those are huge. Have yes. you ever had that happen? Um, I haven't yet. I've been fortunate. Yeah. Um, I did, in terms of like me representing something, everything has typically gone fairly smoothly with a few exceptions. Um, yeah, buying good. my house was really fun. It was a foreclosure and... The original owners were non-residents of Canada, um, okay, but they had kind of uh, disappeared and the bank had foreclosed. And so there was a huge issue getting the bank to agree to provide uh, the tax certificate um, to make, oh. yeah, just to make sure that I wouldn't get assessed uh, taxes that the sellers owed. Um, so that was a huge snafu, oh, and the so transaction almost didn't complete. So the certificate saying the taxes have been paid up to date. Exactly. Because yeah. you guys have to do it when you do the transfer. Because if there's ten years of back taxes. Exactly. Yeah. Or like an older person that defers their taxes, would that apply? Where they have to make sure they get paid out? Um, I don't think it would fall on the buyer in that situation, mm. but it would definitely come out of the net sale proceeds for the seller. Huh. So what did you do? To, what did they do to resolve that? Um. It involved the court. Uh, someone had to go to court and get uh, an order absolute, which right. is essentially uh, it transfers title to the property to the bank rather than to the owners. And because title was then held in the name of the bank, they could provide that tax certificate and we were able to close the sale. Right. Yeah. Banks can be interesting sometimes because they're like, we don't want any liability. It's as totally. is where it is. Yeah. The and house is burnt down by the time you get it. It's not our fault. Like, yeah. And like there are a lot of advantages to buying a foreclosed house. Can be, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like we definitely got it uh, below the fair market value. Yeah. So I don't want to like scare anyone off, but it was just a, an No, there's always potential. But exactly. I, I mean, you always have to tell people like, you can't write stuff in the offer, right? Yes. Like appliances yeah. and stuff, they're like, nope, sorry, we're not liable for them. And, yeah. and there is times where people take them when they leave. Yeah. But yeah. Most and in my case, because the sellers had left the country, I was fairly confident. Yeah. There's not much of a worry. And exactly. sometimes they're crappy, anyways. If it's yeah. like you're going to renovate or something, then not as big of a deal. But yeah, those can exactly. be interesting for sure. So. What about, do you have any, want to say anything about any of the other stuff that you do, like the wills or anything that I wouldn't be as knowledgeable about? It might be For sure. Well, I think here. estate planning is really important when you purchase a house because your house is likely going to be your biggest asset. Yeah. So whenever you purchase a house, I do think it's important if you don't have a will to draft one or just mm -hmm. to make sure it still reflects what your wishes are in the event of your death. So for that reason, yeah, it's good to kind of do a... a dual duty thing with the lawyer and as well as purchase the house maybe talk about some estate planning considerations just to make yeah, sure yeah especially if you have a family and stuff you don't exactly. want to leave them yeah. struggling with it exactly uh, so we had a conversation yesterday actually with uh, someone in town and they thought and you, you would know the answer to this so for <laughs> life insurance if say like me and Tanya are on our house together mm -hmm. if someone were to pass away does the bank require that stuff and what do you think that maybe that's important to have life or disability in case something happens yeah. for a mortgage? Normally, the bank will not require life insurance. No. They're more concerned about fire insurance. Fire and staff or house insurance. Basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, if 
someone is going to be in a position where they're not going to be able to afford the mortgage in the event that their spouse or co-owner passes away, it, it would be a good idea for sure. Yeah, just to make sure, sure everyone is. is covered in the event of unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I definitely, I definitely recommend it too. There's so many pieces to stuff like that. It's hard, especially if you're a first time home buyer to yeah. know all that stuff, right? For sure. And yeah. they need house insurance. Like they're just worried about buying the house to think about a will and where the place is going to go if they die and who's going to be responsible for it and how yeah. it's going to get paid off. Or even and... just like the typical closing costs in the transaction because most people are just focused on yeah. what the cost of the house is and don't know that there are kind of some additional costs that come along. Mm-hmm, for sure. So it's good, something good to think about. And I think for me, I've started to think about that stuff more now as I've got more experience in it. Yes. My, my first house, I was just like, get her done. Yes. It was a 40-year no-down payment mortgage, and it was got me into a house, right? Exactly, that yeah. Was a while ago, but it was that was just the end goal, right? It's the house, was it? Yeah, get into the house and move on. So your first time helping someone with their first time buying or selling a home or transferring a yeah, so mine was actually a private sale. Um, uh oh. I know, right? Should edit this part out. <laughs> and actually, um, I got an accepted offer in a private sale right now, too. Yeah. So I do explore the house options for my clients. Yeah, um, and this was kind of different. like a deal between acquaintances, and yeah, it all went fairly Which, smoothly. Yeah, and I was family. lucky for my first transaction. Okay, so nothing, nothing special with that one. It was just. So did you do the whole contract and everything for them? We did, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a fun part too. Which does happen. Yeah. Although it is very similar to the one you guys use. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's, you have to be careful with complex interest and all that stuff. No. Yeah. Well, you guys like. I don't even know. I think it's different for you guys, so we won't even get into that stuff. Oh yes. <laughs> the whole representation thing. Yeah. yeah. So, what would you say is the most challenging aspect of being a lawyer? I'd say I want to, I'd like it'd be nice to hear it from the property transfer part, but from your previous experiences, since you might have a little more. I think overall, the hardest part is giving someone bad news. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because sometimes, in addition to being a lawyer, you also have to be their emotional support. And yeah. uh, it's, it, it can be challenging because you definitely understand why they're stressed, but there's sometimes this, like when an issue first pops up, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So it's really trying to be reassuring while still delivering bad news when you don't really know what the outcome is going to be yet. Yeah, right, and guiding them. I just think, you'd probably, I mean, that might be more why you're getting into more of the transfer part. It might be a little less... There might be less of that compared for to like fighting part. in court with someone or something or family court. Yeah, for the most part, our work is uh, proactive rather than reactive. Yeah, which is good. Yes, it's always good to be I a little agree. more positive. Yeah. What is your greatest accomplishment being a lawyer? Just getting that ticket is probably a huge one. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Just making it through all the like weird requirements to actually get here and... Uh, being called to the bar was definitely my greatest accomplishment so, what is, so far. What is getting called to the bar exactly? Yeah, so it's a funny word. In BC, it basically just well, means that you've like got your undergrad degree, you've got your law school degree, you've completed articling. And then in BC, there's also a course that you have to complete called PLTC. Oh, okay. um, so that's basically our bar admission course. It's a 12-week course with uh, assessments throughout and then two bar exams at the end. Um, so that's always stressful for everyone. So yeah, just completing all those steps and then you being called to the bar is just like a ceremony in court. You get to wear the uh, barrister's robes and you're just presented to the court and officially So lawyer. kind of like graduation. Right? Exactly, yeah. You do the barrister's their... and solicitor's oath and then, yeah. 
So, and it's different in BC? So, say Alberta or Manitoba or something? Or yeah, Ontario or whatever. so they're, they're, it's always basically the same regardless of the province. But uh, So, I went to law school in Ontario, oh, and okay. there they don't have that 12-week course. They just have, like, two eight-hour multiple-choice exams that Ooh, they self... Hours. Yeah, each, that they self-study for throughout the summer. And um, okay. that's what they do instead of the 12-week course. BC, it seems like with a lot of things, BC sort of, I guess... They make, it's a little harder, I think, with a lot of things. I think they just set a high standard, right? Which I think can be better. I've been listening to these podcasts and he's, it's called the Unreal Estate Show. He's got a real estate team in Vancouver. And he's been going around interviewing different people in different countries and all over. And Mm -hmm. he was interviewing people in uh, Netherlands or Iceland. And it's actually quite interesting to hear the different ways they do real estate in different places. But in Iceland, there's like, there only is one real estate. They always represent both parties. Oh, and they basically like their penalty if you are like break your fiduciary duties or totally or are, yeah. are not doing what you should like not acting in acting professional in, manner. like one client's best interest yeah exactly or like that. being dishonest basically yeah. right it's basically like you lose your license and wow. that's it right they're wow. pretty cut and dry and like done strict but they're also they run that way and they have for a long time so whereas bc it's changing as well right Which, yeah like more know. a system of stern warnings before the losing your license yeah i don't even know i wouldn't even want to go there but just <laughs> totally. making it i think it's good that they make it more strict and it gives you a little bit opportunity to be more professional right absolutely yeah try <laughs> so what are your long-term goals obviously you probably want to stay a lawyer do you want to start your own firm do you no i love it here <laughs> for sure um I've recently kind of switched from a mainly litigation practice, so going mm-hmm. to court over to a solicitor practice, so the real estate transactions, the corporate and commercial, and the estate planning. So my long-term goals are just to be awesome at that. And yeah, yeah I definitely would like to stay at the firm. Um, I find it better to kind of have colleagues to bounce ideas off of. I don't know that I would do well as a sole practitioner or anything like that. Right, if you're totally on your own. It's always good to have other people. I think even if you had your own firm, maybe you'd want it to be with people for, um, yeah. It's, for company and for guidance. We're pretty well self-employed, but there's always someone you can talk to. And most other agents are super helpful, right? If yeah. you do need the help, as well yeah. as our owners and brokers. So who owns this firm? A Stuart, is Stuart an owner? Yeah, Stuart's an owner, and there's uh, three other partners, Gemma and... Oh, right. uh, Gemma Simonette? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Peter Higgs and Sam Gordon. So okay. Peter and Gemma, or sorry, Peter and Sam primarily do litigation work, hmm. and then Stuart and Gemma are solicitors. Okay, so five lawyers in the office completely? Um, so overall, there's or? me. We also have another lawyer here named Michael Cantwell. He was called to the bar a year after me, and oh, yeah. he mainly cool. maintains a litigation practice. We also have an articling student named Layla Hartford. Uh, she's off to PLTC soon, um, but when she returns, she's primarily doing family law stuff, and she's okay. awesome at it. And then cool. uh, some other general litigation. So you guys stuff. do basically everything lawyer related. Everything lawyer related, with family the exception litigation. of criminal. Oh right, no criminal. Yeah. But other than that, you That's probably it. its own animal. It is. Like an office would probably sure. almost just special, special, specialize in that. For as one sure. Yeah. yeah. Like um, most people. So in Campbell River, uh, there's one purely criminal practice firm and then a couple of lawyers who will take it on, but um, mainly do other stuff too. Right. And it, yeah, if it's its own specialty, it's good to be versed in it. So if anyone, do you have any tips for someone who's interested in becoming a, a lawyer? Sorry, quick question on the side though. Mm-hmm. So like your card says lawyer and notary. Right. Uh, is I always thought they were different, but they maybe. They are different. So if you're, 
if you're a lawyer, just by virtue of being a lawyer, you have notarial, uh, you can be a, a... Right, so you can call yourself that, basically. Exactly, yeah. you have the same, or a higher standard or training or... Different different <laughs> training that also, like, it just encompasses what notaries are yeah. trained to do. So just, yeah, by virtue of our training to be lawyers, we, we learn what notaries are. Right, so you would probably say that just because maybe sometimes people attain that to a real estate transaction, so it might make people understand what you do a little bit better is that sort of why or exactly yeah. yeah and i think notaries are excellent at what they do um the only small issue though is that notaries scope of practice is a little bit more limited than a lawyer's mm-hmm. so there's a possibility that if something goes wrong in the transaction then it might be necessary to retain a lawyer as well yeah, and that can sure. definitely be more expensive yeah and i i don't i mean i don't have a lot of experience in the whole lawyer notary thing but i think if you're using a notary for a transaction, a transfer of land, it's fine. But if you do have anything that's specific to a legal contract or something, that's going to... Yeah, just exactly. Like I, I had something that was done by a notary that wasn't void, and the notary basically said it's not void because it wasn't written by a lawyer. So if oh, you're going to okay. do like an agreement... Yeah, and a... I, I do think notaries can draft the agreements, but things like if it does end up like there's something on title that you need to go to court to deal with, yeah. the notary wouldn't be able to do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it gets complicated, which always get always good to ask questions. Exactly. But the thing is, like ninety nine point nine percent of real estate transactions do proceed smoothly. So it's just like one consideration in the scope of things, essentially, as to whether you retain a lawyer or a notary. For sure. Hopefully not. And I mean, exactly. Your real estate agents probably and your mortgage broker are the two people before the lawyer that are going to do their due diligence, and it definitely helps to have one going to do their due diligence. Absolutely. So the real estate agent can kind of take a look at the nature of the transaction and make recommendations in that Yeah, regard. and there can be a lot of stuff. Like, I, I, I mean, what, did I, what was the other day I emailed Stuart, and I was like, can you just – I actually had asked someone else, and they explained it to me about, can you just confirm that this means what it means? So right. So have it from a lawyer and make sure I still understand it right. Because yeah. the way I read something and the way you read something, the way Stuart reads something might be different. Absolutely. Not, not to mention you guys have a better understanding of that stuff. So that was good, and I had an email from him that was sort of something in writing that I can go, okay, I can rely on that now, right? Perfect. So that's huge for sure, and going through all the documents can be, I'm starting to learn them better for sure over the yeah. years, but there's yeah, a lot Yeah, no, to but them. it's overwhelming at first. Yeah, and you got to try and make your client understand it. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of times it's about definitely breaking it down into something understandable, because when you sit the, down at the table with a stack of papers this high, it can definitely be intimidating. Yeah, totally, especially with strata and stuff. Do you, yeah. you guys must have to review strata with people sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah the minutes of strata council meetings just to see if there's any like unexpected strata fees that are going to pop up mm-hmm. just so like yeah, special assessments exactly yeah. and strata can be scary like i think strata is a great idea but it's just there's some scary stories where it's like you know you never know what's going to happen and Definitely. you get a fifty thousand dollar special assessment or something right yeah. so yeah it's just like another level of complexity to the transaction for yeah sure. exactly so but a well-run strata can be great i think Absolutely. bare land's kind of nice because it doesn't really Involve and the building, it's just the ones the land. that do your like landscaping for you and shovel yeah. your snow, like which can't usually go wrong there. Bare land, usually, yeah. And the nice thing I was explaining to people bare land mostly the taxes and stuff are deducted on your actual taxes, so it almost becomes free sometimes Absolutely. for some of the landscaping compared to your tax adjustments. So it's yeah. kind of cool, yeah, not bad. Pays for your garden. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, back to this. Um, any tips for someone who's interested in becoming a lawyer? 
Yeah, the main thing is when you're doing your undergraduate degree, uh, choose something that you're interested in and will do oh. well at. Um, law schools like to like to accept people with kind of like broad experiences. They don't necessarily want just like philosophy students or whatever. And obviously your grades are an important, important consideration when mm -hmm. you're applying. So yeah, choose something that you're interested in and that you can do well at. Um, there isn't, it's not like medical school where there's like pre-med requirements. Hmm. Um, it's just basically get an undergraduate degree. So an undergraduate is like a four year, like a Bachelor of Arts would be like an undergraduate? Yeah, exactly. I don't know a lot bachelor of Bachelor of things. Science. Bachelor of, so sorry, what did you do again? It was a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology at Simon Fraser. Okay, a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology? Mm-hmm. Sounds counter, counterproductive. <laughs> not counterproductive, but like they don't sound like they go together. It doesn't but, sound like arts, but yeah, but arts is... Stuff like philosophy, sociology. Okay, right, I guess yeah. so. Okay, because I always think art and arts. Yeah, yeah, like I think there's like also a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, and that would be like the more artistic stuff. Like, okay, which that would that be good to go to a lawyer? Totally. Would they like there it? was there was definitely a guy in my law school uh, class who had a Bachelor of Fine Arts, was like came from a major acting background. Huh. And honestly, I think that works well for him, especially if he wants to be a litigator, because he kind of doesn't get that stage right. He. And he's right, yeah, yeah okay. good at kind of like speaking convincingly. So I think that definitely put him ahead of the curve in terms of uh, advocacy skills. That's interesting. I, I mean, I've always sort of seen a lot of people that go to school and get like a bachelor of whatever it is, and then it seems like they don't do anything <clears throat> with it or mm -hmm. they don't have a direction. So it's probably good to have a, a direction on where you're going to go. But I guess in like in your situation, you could do something like that and then sort of decide. Totally. And to be I a do lawyer think, or something else. I do think that is how a lot of people like end up in law school. They get a bachelor of arts degree that they can't really do much with. So they're just like, yeah, I'll go to law school. Yeah. Huh. Cause I did, I'm at journeyman heavy duty mechanics. I did a little bit of schooling for mm -hmm. that. Right. And then my real estate schooling was homeschooled. Right. And a big test and then learning for the last three years. The self-directed learning though, that's a challenge. I have tried to do distance courses in the past and found that I really need the like in-class structured environment. So if you're able to like self-teach yourself to be a real estate agent, it's yeah. pretty impressive to me. I'm pretty good at it, but it's well like it's all law and math. Yes. So I'm sure you know what law is like and it's pretty dry and I I'm not great with that stuff. But I did like uh I think it was like six hundred bucks. She teaches at UBC and it's like She's put together this course, so I do mm -hmm. it on my computer, and she'd do, like, a chapter of law, a chapter of math, and test you after. Okay. And it was mm -hmm. like being in a classroom. And then I'd go home and read, and then I'd do the test. Yeah. So I think that was worth its weight in gold. Definitely. For 600 bucks or something, and it was like you had someone teaching you. For sure, yeah. As long as you can get someone to teach it to you, that, yeah, it makes it yeah, a lot easier. I, I would have done it anyways. And I passed <laughs> the first time. Absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a hard test, apparently. I'm sure yours was harder, though. So, do you have anything else you wanted to tell anyone in regards to any of it? Not that I can think of, but do definitely want to reiterate the importance of estate planning, mm -hmm. especially as you get older and start acquiring big expensive assets like houses. Yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> I, have a, I have a couple houses, but... <sighs> they pay for the... I gotta, well, I gotta, we gotta, we gotta rental in our house and we have, I have a rental, but... Okay. If it, I was I'm like, if it pays for itself, it shouldn't matter. But then if you don't know where it's going, it can end up being a bunch of legal costs that are just wasted, and the house could end up, and like the equity be, and stuff could be wasted anyways. When yeah, it's stressful for the tenant as well. Uh, no, <laughs> no, my tenants are great actually. So yeah, I just rented out the main floor of my house and lucked out and got an awesome tenant with. You did? Yeah. Oh, sweet. So you're, you have a suite in your house? Yeah, I do. And you live in the suite? Um, so the suite is on the main floor of the house, and I live upstairs. Oh, okay. So it's like a it's a basement home or a 
Sort of, main yeah. Le- main level entry, sort yeah, of. Yeah, main level entry, two yeah. bedroom. And, cool. Yeah. The suites are, it's nice. It's, yeah, totally. Especially the cost of housing these days. Exactly, and the property taxes in Campbell River. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not cheap. I know, it's, prices have been going crazy, but it's, leveling off a little bit now it's hard when you hear people that like can't get into the market and stuff for sure yeah and you just got to be encouraging right but yeah exactly so last question is do you have any recommendations of someone else i could interview in the future 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 <laughs> well i hear my boss Stuart carsters loves oh, no, being on camera <laughs> so definitely hit him up Yes, for um, sure. He's He was my plan, and he, he said he's too busy, so he recommended you. I think he's just shy. But we'll get him We'll get him on there eventually. We'll show him this one, and he'll see, oh, look, they're smiling. It's happy. Exactly. And then I've also uh, had some dealings with a woman named Katie Cronin at the Mortgage Center. Um, okay, yeah, Katie's actually good, for sure. Yeah. Write it down. What's K-R-O-N or C? Uh, C-R-O. I know her. I haven't actually talked to her in a while or done a deal with her but yeah she helped a, a client out of a difficult situation so i like to recommend her as a mortgage broker yeah cool sounds good thank you everyone thank hopefully you. you're watching <laughs> and learn something <laughs> bye